Okay, so this is how we're gonna this is how we're gonna start. Um, can I get a um, give me a beat? Can I get a good banana? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy. True and real stories. From the fringes of classical music. Be a little. We're we're talking about songwriting today, and when I think about writing a song and songs that have to deal with how you're feeling and all that sort of thing, I instantly think of the blues, and maybe that's because where I'm from in Memphis, um, you know, where where BB King is a patron saint, where you walk down Bill Street any mm-hmm. night of the week and you hear live blues and yeah, well, um, and folk music. You know, the the Americana sometimes has a, a, a sad or a melancholy tinge to it yeah why do we love melancholic sounding songs so much i don't know there's a study about it though yeah that it, it, i seem to remember the study said that a listening to a sad song or a melancholy song um allows you to to get in it and yeah. and totally exist in the feeling and that's almost like um, a purge yeah. that you, you feel better after that you maybe you shed that tear or you um, had your moment of release or whatever it was that you and, need to do beforehand. And even the happy sounding songs can make you get into your feels a little bit. Uh, you yeah. know, t- today we're uh, talking with a, a songwriter from Nigeria. Her name her name is Kashimana uh, Ahua. And, and we kind of uh, workshopped a song with her, um, you know, about good old days and happy times. But even that, you know, got me in my feels a little bit as... How so? As, um, you know, just thinking about, you know, and, and uh, the, the song is coming up uh, later in this opus. We'll, 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 we'll close out this opus with the song she wrote, and you'll learn more about Kashimana. But, you know, uh, when she was singing the song with the opening lines of, you know, waking up and, and checking your phone... Um, I get sad when I think about people doing that. Uh, you know, the older I get, the uh, the the more sorry I feel for people who are just so attached to their phone. I I try not to go to sleep with my phone in the bedroom. My, my phone wow. charges somewhere else. Wow. And you know, just the idea of someone feeling the need to wake up and the first thing you're doing with you know your time awake, this precious time that so many people don't have, and you're reaching over and grabbing your phone. You know that in itself is just tragic to me. But then, when the emotions attached to that are sad, you look at your phone and you don't have that text message from the person that you were hoping to hear from, or that phone call, or that or that email, or whatever. Music can really put you in it, man. Ooh. See, when I was recording the video for this opus, when she was recording that. I sat there feeling like, oh, that sounds so nice, mm-hmm. you know, to wake up with somebody or, you know, when she's saying, we're going to make this a good old day. Well, you can make it a, a good old day. No, I mean, you know, I'm talking about the, you know, you, when you, I, I know that she was writing about waking up and looking at the phone. Sure. But I also had the feel that, you know, that was just one of the days that she didn't get to be with the person that she was waiting for the phone call. You know, mm. so, you know, maybe later that day they would get to spend some time together. Some, it just it was so sweet. And it, um, it's been a long time since you've had to deal with being on the edge of the bed because the person that you're sleeping next to hogs everything. Well, I think that I probably (laughs) I think that I probably turned into that person. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I can just stretch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, on this opus of have we introduced this? Oh, yeah, we have. Okay. Uh, (laughs) uh, So uh, as I as I said, on this opus of Triloquy, we're uh, speaking with Kashimana Ahua, a songwriter from Nigeria. Uh, But before we get into that, we're going to talk a little bit about songwriting and songs as they apply uh, to classical music. So uh, something that, you know, all music students learn very early on is that there is a, a big difference between a piece of music and a song. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't call Beethoven's Fifth a song, no. you, you, you know, but there are pieces of classical music uh, that you do call songs. And there is a very specific, uh, not a very specific, but um, just sort certain guidelines that constitute a song, verses, and the way it's written. It doesn't even have to have words necessarily. And so, leader 
was like the old school version of what might now be a song, right? Right, yes. Yeah, so Schubert wrote lots of leader. We've been talking about Schubert for the uh, past uh, few opuses. But then, you know, there are also things like, um, you know, Franz Liszt wrote uh, songs and... Uh, and uh, if you want to get into uh, more contemporary sorts of things, you know, the tradition of Negro spirituals and, mm-hmm. and, and, and other types of songs as they apply to uh, classical music, yeah. The one that I always find is the most overt for me is Dvorak because he threaded, uh, he probably owes his career. To black to, folks, to, yep. Yep, I agree. <laughs> to black, are, are you talking about the fact that he he incorporated some spiritual sounds when he was in Spillville or across yeah, sure, the board. Sure, uh, uh, especially when he was in the United States. But you know, there's a quote, and I can you know I can I can look it up real quick. But um, you know, Dvorak said there is no American music without blackness. Ba- also, basically, you know, he also said that at the heart, everything he writes is bohemian. Yeah. And when he was in Spillville and he wrote the famous American String Quartet, the opening movement of it is a direct influence of Spillville because mm-hmm. he would go to the Turkey River every morning and just sort of, you know, get himself together and listen to the world waking up. And uh, there's a there is a bird call that I think the viola does. Dum, yeah. dum, 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 dum. It is so interesting, Scott, that you chose that uh, Dvorak uh, bird song inspired piece of music because what was it originally called? Now you're going to have to get the bleep button ready, okay? I got it. He That was originally called the Nigger Quartet. And then over over more time, it was referred to as the Negro Quartet. And then I think around, uh, I think the, and, and you can, you know, if you, if you uh, just Google um, the words, well, Google N word. But actually, spell it out. I'll, I'll give you special permission permission to type it, as long as you don't say it. <laughs> that quartet, it'll uh, take you to a number of um, articles. I think there's a dedicated Wikipedia uh, to it. But, you know, Dvorak heard, uh, you know, that black music, those Negro sounds, and, uh, and was inspired so much by them when he wrote what is now called the American Quartet. He titled it the N-Word Quartet or the or later the Negro Quartet. Now, what does that mean for his legacy? I, I'll have to do more reading. I imagine that a guy um, from Czechoslovakia, you know, Bohemia uh, at that time, wouldn't completely understand the implications of this word that I suppose he was hearing you know, and and hearing referred, you know, hearing in reference to these people. So maybe he thought that uh, titling it that way was an homage to them, you know, without understanding the uh, implications of that word. I'm going to give you another example real quick. Um, in Pictures at an Exhibition, mm-hmm. one of the opening movements, and I'm going to say this, is called Beatla. It's the uh, it's the movement about the uh, the ox, you know, the the work, the, mm-hmm. the work song movement. Um, I learned uh, a few years ago uh, from a homie of mine uh, from uh, Ukraine that that is a slur uh, for for wow. poor people. You know, like uh, you know, as as the uh, as the picture is titled that way, it's not the horse that is you know doing the the dreadful work for all of his life, but the person behind the plow. You know, mm-hmm. so the implications of that, you know, how we don't always know how things translate. Anyway, my what my point is, Scott, is that. There, there's no separate, you know, when when I initially said Dvorak owes his career to black people, maybe not his entire career, but much of his legacy and even the piece of music that you reference has a direct connection to that idea. And do you remember how I reacted the night that you you started to announce that and I, I was still the, on? I told the nation, I spilled that tea to the nation and I got lots of... <laughs> and did you, did you see how I reacted though? Yeah. Like it is everywhere. It's everywhere. How... Can and and you know I'm not even ready to talk about beer because I'm sure that some of my favorite styles were tied up in the Third Reich somehow, or the or or the people who uh you know helped brew them or or, or grew the hops or grew right. whatever were yeah. doing it so, you know but step by step and 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 before you know we step off from this you know the the other important point I think there is to make about what we now call the American Quartet is the whitewashing of this piece of music. Dvorak, you know, titled this 
you know, with black folk in mind, you know, as problematic as that word is today, do we still get that energy? Do we still feel that spirit by calling it the American quartet? What was the, what were the implications behind taking blackness out of it and putting the word American? Why couldn't the, mm. you know, N-word quartet, the Negro quartet evolve into the Afro-American quartet or mm-hmm. the or, or the black quartet or whatever, you Great know? Great question. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that one another time. And then on the other end of like American um, classical music songwriting, you had um, Charles Ives, who, um, you know, one of my favorite songs by him is called The Cage. It, it goes like this. So let me uh, let me read those lyrics just in case (laughs) they went by. A leopard went around his cage from one side back to the other side. He stopped only when the keeper came around with meat. A boy who had been there three hours began to wonder, is life anything like that? Is life anything like that? Nice. I don't know. Is it? Do you feel like you're pacing in a cage? I mean, if that paycheck is the if the piece of meat is the paycheck and the cage is the job, Hell yeah. <laughs> mm. Shots fired. Anyway, um, yeah, so so lots of really incredible, you know, songs in um in classical music and then the way that uh songwriters can help get other people on. And and when I think about people who wrote a song that uh, was performed um, you know, maybe even more famously, more beautifully than the original songwriter, I think of course about Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You, yep. a song written by Dolly Parton. I'm 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 sure everyone has a memory or or something attached to that song. Well, uh, that was part of the a soundtrack. I think it must have been what the when Bodyguard. Did, yeah, was, when did that yeah. come out? Oh, but I was a I was a Youngster. I mean, early 90s. But I remember Whitney Houston all the way down to Saving All My Love for You. Saving All My Love sure. for You. My um, favorite is, uh, my favorite 80s Whitney's jam is um, a tie between I Want to Dance with Somebody and um, is the song called All the Man I Need? Um, I don't know. You're asking me. He's all I've got. He's all I've got. Garrett McQueen, ladies and gentlemen. Garrett McQueen. (laughs) Yeah, add all the reverb to that. Be nice to your (laughs) wait staff working hard for you tonight. Enjoy your dinner. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right, well, then you do some singing then if you want to make fun of me. Well, I have to do my best uh, Tom Waits impression. Okay. Uh, And my favorite cover uh, is my favorite Tom Waits tune. Government Mule does a killer version of Going Out West. Mm. You know, there's slide guitar in it, and they, you know, they get a little indulgent at points, but being a guitar guy, I really appreciate it. And Tom always, he has such great quotes that I think fits in this, um, in this opus. Like he says, I like, I like beautiful melodies telling me terrible stories. And that gets back to what we were talking about, the melancholic nature of so many of these songs that we love. The world is full of pain. And bad writing is diminishing the quality of our suffering. Mm-hmm. That's another mm-hmm. Wade's quote. So, yeah, I think that that, that really uh, sort of sums it up how uh, the stuff of melancholy, of sadness, of drama makes some of the best art. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think there's a... Um, and before we get into uh, our chat with Kashimana, um, you know, back to the idea of covers and all that sort of thing. Do you think that there is a greatest cover of all time? A cover that is, you know, and, and we already acknowledge Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. But there's one that definitely comes to mind for me. Oh, I'm curious if you can uh, think of me softly. See, yes, absolutely. That's what I was thinking about. Strumming my pain with his fingers. Now, no disrespect to Roberta Flack. Of course, but... Lauren Hill and the Fugees body that. Yeah, and there's there's no denying yeah, that. Yeah, they 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 gave it a, a beat that I think it needed. Strumming my pain with 
Yeah, man, it makes me uh, wish I wrote a song like that. Oh, I wish I could. And like Kashimana did, I wish that I could. Just she write just, a song on the fly. She just sat there and just came up with it. Ah. Yeah. Oh, I would kill to do that. Um, you know, Alicia Keys uh, talked about songs that she wished that she had written uh, when she hosted the last uh, Grammy Awards. And, uh, you know, when we talk about that nostalgia, that melancholy, that sadness, but also the happiness of remembering those songs and singing every word, uh, yeah, she, uh, she, she, she bodied that as well. Drumming my pain with his finger Singing my life with his words Killing me softly with his song Last thing before we get into uh, our chat with uh, Kashi Mana, um, Scott, a song that has just played a really important part in our lives um, is by a woman uh, named LP. Mm-hmm. And I still remember sitting over at your house um, that day and you pulling that up. And my initial thought as I was listening to the song was that, oh, this sounds like some um, some hipster <laughs> whatever. And then I really listened to the lyrics and... Um, and what LP was saying. And it seems like every time we hang out, if we don't listen to the song, the song comes up. What is We're it ref- about What is it about that tune for you? Uh, when I first heard it, uh, honesty, I thought it was a man. I thought that she was male first. And then after I realized, and I thought, this is terrible. And then when I realized that it was a woman, all of a sudden I went, no, wait a minute. And then all of a sudden I couldn't leave it alone. And there are times when I listen to it and I think of her singing it from the vocalist point of view and I cry. I get tears in my eyes just thinking about it. And then I think about it from the point of view of the person that she's talking to. And I think, well, I've been I've been that person, too. Mm -hmm. To me, it just seems like it. Anybody can understand it, whatever direction that they're experiencing. Them. I mean, yeah, and, and there are songwriters we can talk about and, and shout out all day. You know, um, Sia has written songs for just about everyone. I think Lady Gaga is one of the most incredible composers alive. You know, when, when you meet Lady Gaga, um, she often introduces herself as a composer. You mm. know, that's the word she uses. And, you know, I think if we can really put that much respect on the art of songwriting and validating it as a classic style of music, um, it can it, it can help grow the genre and, um, and the audience. Um, before we, uh, I, I know I keep saying, uh, you know, before we get into uh, Kashi Mana, um, just back to that LP for a second. It's interesting to me that your whole perception of the song changed based on realizing her sex, her gender. And that's interesting to me because all it boils down to is what's in between her legs. Nothing else has changed. I don't know. The song why. hasn't changed. No, the, I don't know why it happened. Yeah. I don't, Garrett, I so don't. So how do we, yeah, I I'm not trying wh- to indict you or anything, but I'm just saying. I don't know why it happened, though. So I, I wonder how that idea manifests broad more broadly um and and i feel like we're you know we're chasing the rabbit off the trail here but um you know how how can the identity of a songwriter or a composer really um impact someone's uh relationship with that mm. and 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 how much they appreciate it you know i i think that's what you're hitting on here and you know and what we're what we're always trying to hit on in classical music as far as growing and diversifying the audience you have to see yourself in it and more of these styles have to be validated within it well, you know well lp has such a range there are times where she gets operatic yeah that she full on is doing a soprano thing that will just blow your mind. Yeah, and you know, and songs like those, as far as I'm concerned, are no different from the leader mm. that Schubert wrote. No mm-hmm. different from Liszt's Liebestraum or mm-hmm. you know uh, any of those opera arias by Mozart or anyone. So, uh, how about we uh, listen to as much of that LP tune as we're legally allowed to uh, <laughs> as we transition into this uh, talk with Kashimana Ahua. <laughs> Oh, tell me I've lost on you. Oh, just 
Kashimana Ahua. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey. I know uh, when we met uh, the first time, you were telling me to uh, pronounce your name correctly. I need to act like I'm singing it. So I've been yeah. I've been practicing Kashimana, Kashimana. <laughs> to tell us your name, so so we're making sure. Sure. That we're <laughs> so it's Kashimana. 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 Yes. Oh, get it there. Getting closer. Get it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. thanks, so, thanks so much for joining us. It's an honor to have you here. Uh, looking forward to talking about uh, your songwriting, your um, Nigerian heritage, and how those two parlay into this genre we call classical music. Mm. Uh, but I wanted to start uh, by reading one of the quotes that I saw on your website that really moved me. It says, My voice has been my closest companion. With my voice, I see other universes and possibilities. With my voice, I hear the joy, the pain, where I come from and where I'm going. With my voice, I heal, soothe, and create. You know, um, t- talk to me more about that. When did you discover that your voice had this power to do so many things? Um, I guess it wasn't so much when it comes to my voice. Um, my father sang all over the house. My mom sang too, but she was like low key singing. Mm. Like she wasn't like, I'm a singer. My <laughs> father was very much, I'm a singer. I got that bass note, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I got that high tenor. It was just very much like around the house and um, and in church. And so I, I instinctively was just like, the voice is cool. It's important. But finding my connection to it was like when I wrote my my first song. And um, I wrote my first song, I think I was about seven or eight. And um, it, was a, it was a very, like, weirdly personal song for that age. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it, and I gave it, and I sang it to my mom. And she's like, why did you write about that? Okay, so let me... Let me well, do, well, do you remember what it was yes, about? Yes, I remember the content. So... <laughs> Um, so in Nigeria, um, spanking is not an issue. Okay. So you do something wrong, you get spanked. Period. Yeah. That's the (laughs) end. That's what it is. It's the norm. And so I was like, I wrote a song about, hey, I don't want to do anything to make dad or mom unhappy. Same. Something like that. Yep. I don't want to get spanked. And I put it in a song. Oh, wow. my God. My parents are going to kill me. <laughs> the, 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 I'm getting spanked blues. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't even that serious. It was just like, I want to write this song about this thing because I feel like music has to have an emotion and it has to tell a story. Like, and at an that authenticity. Age. That's authentic to your story exactly. as an eight-year-old. As a seven-year-old, <laughs> that was my drama. Yeah. That was my my struggle yes. at the time, you know? <laughs> so I wrote a song. It was very simple. I don't remember even how the lyrics go, but it was just like, I love you, mom, dad, don't, you know, if I do anything wrong, don't be angry, don't spank me. And um, <laughs> my mom was like, hey, so why'd you write about the song? And I was just like, you know, I I don't know, but I saw that it had an effect. Yeah. You know, I wow, saw yeah. that, like, you know, I don't want to say, like, I got spanked that year, but, like... Yeah, did you get a spanking for the song? Uh, you yeah. know, it was like, <laughs> no, I didn't. But it was like, it made, it felt like it made them really choose when they were going to discipline me. Uh-huh. So... Yeah, well, after writing that song, I was like, this has some effect. But then at the same time, it was like, I got really shy about my songs. Mm. So I was like, well, I didn't want to hurt. I don't want to ruffle feathers. So I just kind of was like, okay, I'm going to keep writing songs. But I was also writing it like in secrecy. Mm. Um, so the power was there, but I didn't believe in it quite yet. And... As time went on, it took it took a little bit of time for me to share my songs. We we by that time we'd moved to Kenya, and then living in Kenya, they had more of a musical program, mm. and so I was like, okay, I can write the songs. I see other people writing songs. I'm singing other people's songs, and I had this music teacher that was just encouraging me to sing and share my music. And um, after doing like my first performance in church I don't I don't remember it was church or school first it was probably a combination of both I was hooked Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> you know, I want to pull over really quick and just, uh, you know, you already mentioned, um, you know, being from Nigeria and, and, and living in Kenya, you know, the, the motherland yeah, is just yes. the, the place that so many of us black folk just dream of visiting one day and, and, yeah. and having a stronger connection to. Um, and I wonder how that conversation parlays on the other side. How, you know, how, how do you feel as far as um, songwriting and, and writing in an idiom that many people will see as Western, but from, you know, a, a, an authentically African perspective, the perspective that you have? Um, you know, I think it, it comes with writing your story and telling mm-hmm. your truth. Um, you know, there's some things that some phrases that I will use or turn in a in a song that I realize that that's not something everybody's going to get. Yeah. But I hope that visually and um, physically it still resonates with people, you know, and the influences, their influences that I'm finding out like now and as I study more of like the history of uh, Nigerian music and African music and go back and look at like some of the people that I grew up listening to. Yeah. Not like actively like, hmm, let me dissect this song. Sure, and what, sure. what, what? But like, <laughs> but like actually listening to and being like, okay, I see where that comes into my music now. You know, it's just something that's there that I have to, like, recognize and be happy and be proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, when you write, does the guitar work come first or the lyrics? Um, so, okay, <laughs> I'm going to go back again. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are bringing up so many memories. Um, I did not start off writing with any instrument at all. Oh, okay. Um, my dad had an old guitar in the house, uh, like an old Yamaha. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Yamaha. Sure. I, if you want to pay me. <laughs> yeah, because they're not paying me. So. Wasn't that everybody's first guitar? Like the, right. the Yamaha that was I sitting guess. in the corner? It was the popular one that went around I, the world. I think you could get it at Sears. That's why. <laughs> in a catalog. Yeah. Um, um, so my, 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 my uh, husband's mother has like one of those Sears catalogs. Funny. It's like $5 for a guitar or something. Okay. Uh, but so um, he had that, but it was like off bounds, you know, like we didn't Do play not with touch it, it or you're going to get a spanking. Right. Like you don't <laughs> touch it, you don't pluck a string or else. Um, so we, we had a lot of respect for the instrument. So when I started out writing, I didn't have an instrument. So a lot of it besides my voice. So that was the only thing that I could write with. So I started off just writing melody and lyric at the same time. Mm. And I had to learn the melody and the lyric at the same time because also, like, if I wrote it down but I didn't, like, learn the the melody, I would forget it. Mm, Absolutely. And the worst thing is to write a whole song and forget (laughs) the melody that goes with that lyric. And so a lot of my songs I had, like, like pages and pages and books of songs where it was like I wrote the melody, I learned the music, the, the the song in my head and like had to print it into my DNA before I had to like move on to the next song. So that's how I wrote for a majority of my life. And, and when you say you wrote the melody, I mean, do you mean that you notated the melody or, or how, oh, would, how would that work? Um, so no notation. So I wrote the, the lyric down, the words, mm. but the melody was... In mm-hmm. my oh, in your spirit, in my spirit, yes. my my brain. I yeah. don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> it was tattooed in there. Yeah. So I would be able to look at the lyrics and be like, that melody goes with those lyrics. Yeah. And it it had to be together at the same time. And there has to be influence when you talk about those melodies. Surely you you uh, heard something that kind of inspired this melody. And, and you know, when I think about that, again, going back to um, the motherland, you know, yeah. I'm sure there are African melodies, traditional African melodies that uh, play a role in those songs that uh, you, you wrote way back when and, and maybe even still today. Yeah, um, like some of the stuff that I was talking or looking back at, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a pentatonic scale in there. I'm kind of using the same notes over and over. And so I realized that those were the tools I used to make the melody memorable to Mm -hmm. me. But I didn't know what that was when I was doing it. I just kind of was like, this is how it makes sense for me to remember it. And, um, And so with time... Like now, 
you know, a thought will usually spur a melody and a lyric for me. And mm. then after that, I'll try add the guitar. Every so often I'll do the guitar and come from there. Like, oh, I had like these chords. Let's see if I can make a melody uh, lyric over it. But it's very hard for me to be like, I'm going to write these words down on a page. Yeah. And then and I'm going to figure out a melody. Right. And then I'm going to put some chords. That to me just feels like doing too much. Yeah. <laughs> But I understand for different people, like, you know, there's there's different tools you use. So if somebody does put a, a page of words in front of me, I now know how to work from that and push through like the discomfort of like, this is not how I normally work to make something from it. I have a question about your process because there, just a few minutes ago you were talking about how the words that you write can have different meaning or the people can take from them what they will. Mm -hmm. And I listen to I'm Still Breathing and mm -hmm. I, I want to share a few of the lyrics. <clears throat> I'm so cold, cut by all the stones, raw and used, for law I'm abused, mm -hmm. bought and sold, paying for their thrones, Close my eyes, dream of rescue drones. Mm -hmm. Talk about those lyrics. How did those come to you? What do they mean for you? Um, so, wow. Uh, that song changes its meaning every so, as I like, depending on when and how I play it. Oh. But the inspiration of it um, came from the tragic uh, kidnapping of the Chibok. Chibok girls. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought Nigeria. when I was listening to this. That, that's what I thought you were talking about. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that that's the that's the the where the writing about the song "Bring Back Our Girls" hashtag right. "Bring Back Our Girls" right. came from. And um, you know, in my mind, I imagine somebody being held against their will, and um, you know, basically being used in this way to propagate an agenda. Um, and I had to write it in a way that was also like, um, personal to me as far as, um, the, the hardships I've gone through, mm -hmm. um, uh, and just dealing with that and how do I m make it in a way that people can feel and, s and see and, taste and be there with that person yeah um i mean again going back back to your quote that i read you know with my voice i hear the pain where i come from and where i am going you know yep <laughs> that is truth um so you know speaking of you know where where you're going um You're, you're, you know, we're, we're not sitting here in Africa. We're not in Nigeria or Kenya. We're, we're here in Minnesota yeah, right now. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about uh, your journey uh, from West Africa to uh, Minnesota. Uh, okay. So I um, born in Nigeria, uh, raised there till I was about nine. And then um, my father had a, got a job in Kenya where he was working for like, Pre okay, so it was an organization called Utna, I think is the name, and this is like before MTV, mm. before the like African uh, music TV, before like uh, there was another popular South African. There was like Utna, which okay. was like your, you know, it curated all different kinds of African music and would put them on uh, on TV on a network. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember all the, the initials for that, but it was like a cultural show yeah, thing. Yeah. And so my dad got a job in Kenya and we, the whole family, just moved over. Mm -hmm. um, and then from Kenya, studied, went to school there. And then um, my father uh, had a schoolmate here in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Mm. And... He was like, okay, I'm going to send you over to, to apply in the university there. And so I applied to St. Cloud State. I applied to Howard. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. And that was my first choice, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, but they did choose me soon enough. <laughs> So, but um, you you got the acceptance letter after you had yeah after I had okay. already like I think it was like a week before I was supposed to come here for you snooze you lose Howard goodness gracious <laughs> I know 
<laughs> so I was like, man. <laughs> but I'm sure St. Cloud was more than happy to, oh, to have you. Yes, they were. And um, but the, that also had its own struggle. It was funny because um, you know, I was like, when I got that letter from Howard, I was like, Dad, this is where I wanted to go. This is this is it. And he said something to me that was like oh, are you sure you want to go there? And it's like, we got people in St. Cloud <laughs> that can keep an eye on you. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, uh, fine. <laughs> but, that's, but that's interesting because, sure, you have people in St. Cloud, but mm -hmm. you really would have had people. You know, you right, would have had folks, right. and, you know, at Howard. Yeah, I, and, you know, what I kind of asked him a, a little later uh, about it, he was like, you know, I didn't want you to go to Howard and pick up the struggle or something like that. Pick up the struggle. Mm. Huh? Yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, at the time I was like, I don't know what that means. I found out. <laughs> well, what did he mean? I want to um, know this. So, I mean, it's St. Cloud. Like the black American struggle? Or... Yeah. Okay, yeah. You know, the, um, I don't know if he, I, I really can't break it down, but as far as I know, in St. Cloud, that was a different type of, struggle a push yeah. and pull as a minority in uh in a big big college um one of the first days i was there just you know went to the mall and i was like wow this is the american mall blah blah mm -hmm. blah i'm walking i got my braids done you know the micros and yeah. long to hear and somebody just reached out and grabbed it and i was oh. like what is going on in my yeah. mind i was just like you know what what is going and that was like my first okay uh you're not home anymore yeah and feeling of otherness and difference and you know um i went to i i got the opportunity to go to different classes where we talked about race and um and what that means in america and how how you know it going to the class was cool but like right away, I knew I was like not the norm here. Yeah. So yeah, I, and 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 I don't want to pass over uh, that story without just making it very clear. Mm -hmm. It is it is it seems like it's a part of the black experience for folks, white folks in particular, to want to touch our hair. Mm -hmm. You know, if if you're listening right now and you're white, don't do that. Don't, don't ask. Don't do it. I mean, and still to this day, <laughs> I, I'll I'll get folks asking to touch my hair. Scott, when we went up to the North Shore, the and the I mean, cashier at the, the coffee the, shop the just wanted to touch my hair. Oh. You know. Oh. Goodness gracious! Anyway, but but let's <laughs> let's but stay focused. Asked, <laughs> but they, but still, even okay. even the asking but part. Even the I asking mean, is, yeah. But like I've I've seen it at least change like in some ways from like the straight up like grab. Or that. Yeah. And especially the micros, because you were probably sitting in that chair for eight or nine hours. Oh, you know, don't touch eight this. Eight or nine? Okay, oh, more, much this? more than that. I'm talking two days. Okay. Ooh, okay. All right. All right. See. Okay. See. You're you're really making me think of some stuff now because uh -huh. I'm sure. You know, um, and, and we didn't talk about the tribe. You're, uh, you know, you come from the the Teeth tribe. Yeah, I understand. But so, so I understand that um, in in West Africa there are like, you know, tribal differences that may, um, you know, parlay through your music and your perception of of what you do. But that was probably highlighted in a completely different way when you started writing songs here um, in Minnesota, here here in the states. I mean, when I started writing songs here, I kind of started writing in the pop vein. It was just mm -hmm. very much like oh it's on the radio it's mainstream and um so it was just kind of like okay i'm gonna f figure out how to do music here and um it wasn't such a hard leap for me because like in kenya we you know the schools i went to were like british teachers taught sure. and uh. so it was like I kind of knew what vein I had to be in, but as I started becoming more um, authentic with telling my story and my experiences, um, like, I just realized, like, at some point you can't, you, you can't really, like, do music in a way that's, I, I, I don't even know how to say it. At some point you just got to be real in that, I'm never going to sound like this aesthetic. I'm mm. never going to have this 
high Joni Mitchell voice, which <laughs> I once said, you know, because to me it sounded like that's perfection. Yeah. yeah. I don't think she can sing like that anymore. But right. like, like that to me was like, oh, I'd love to have that voice. Or, you know, I'd go to classes and be like, oh, how do I get this in my range or this flavor? And I had to be like, no, this is this is my voice. It's unique. And me trying to change it into something that's my idea of cookie cutter or what society says is cookie cutter is yeah, not yeah. going to work for me. And it's going to damage my voice eventually. So, Working in classical music, as Garrett and I do, that has a certain expectation. Once people hear classical music, they think... You know, it's that blanket, Stuffy. right? It's that blanket <laughs> term for everything. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, one of the questions that Garrett asks virtually every guest is, uh, "If music is classic to your experience or mm -hmm. your region or your upbringing, mm -hmm. so how what what in in Nigeria or Kenya would be considered your classical music?" Um. So in Kenya, um, the mushrooms would be like. Um, my idea of like, oh, that was like the first band that people like. You the know, mushrooms. Them mushrooms. Them mushrooms. Yeah, I'm gonna go look <laughs> them up. What's the name yeah. of the band? Um, and we actually got uh, the opportunity. Weirdly enough, I don't know how the connect came, but we got the opportunity to record with them in their studios. So it was like, I was an 11 year old, 12 year old. Uh, no, maybe even. 10 and then we were there in the studio trying to record and i was like my first like trying to harmonize with somebody in a record it was, right. it was really cool um and then in nigeria you have people like um that i grew up listening to like uh fella kuti oh, sure of course uh um king sunny ade uh sheena pitas that's like the high life like mm. you know um music from nigeria um, and, and those are like the beginnings of Afrobeat that we're hearing now and all over the place. Yeah. Um, and just, just hearing, oh, and oh, why am I forgetting? Um, there's so many people that I grew up listening to that have such an effect on my life in, in Africa in a whole, like Yvonne Chaka Chaka growing up with that. If you ever like, thank you. Thank you, Mr. DJ, for playing my song. Thank you, thank you, my love is so strong. And she did her thing <laughs> in such a way where she was like, you know, South African princess, you know, a uh -huh. pop, and she was doing her dance, and she had a song called Unkomboti. I, I can't do the click, but it has the click in it. Uh -huh. Unkomboti, and she's just like dancing and in Zulu pride, just going for it. And that was like the song. And then also, um, I mean, of course, Miriam Makeba and some of these uh, like royalty that you hear and you're like, OK, those people, they're doing their thing. But meanwhile, in the house, it's like music is not an option. You know, <laughs> in Nigeria, it's a hobby. Uh -huh. It's uh, in Kenya. You're not really serious. You know, it's about drugs and it's about this and people take advantage of you. And so, but meanwhile, you're still grooving to the music. <laughs> and, and I, and I want to get into that, but, uh, but you know, I'm just curious if classical music as, you know, it's known by, by most people, at least in the Western world, if, if that had a place in, in your life growing up, was there any... Um, like there European any classic? Or sure. Yeah, was there any yeah. handle? Was there any, um, you know, any of that? I mean, a, a, a lot of the... Um, I mean, it was mostly through church and we'd get a okay, lot of, you know, sense, yeah. I mean, we'd get a lot of like uh, BBC and okay. so they would have orchestras and um, like one of the uh, four and two. What's this? Oh, the Messiah. Yeah. The Messiah always yeah. played every year in December around Christmas time. It was just on. And one of my favorite things, and my, my dad actually had that record, my favorite things to do was to hang out on the balcony in Lagos in Victoria Island and look out at the people, throw that track on and pretend I was a conductor. That was like, wow. that was my jam as a seven, eight year old kid. <laughs> like, that's what I do. I'd be there like in the dark, just 
Yeah. Conducting, <laughs> not even like knowing, like I was just mimicking what I saw on TV. Yeah. But that was my job. <laughs> okay, so so when you're talking about how your parents, your dad considered music, uh, yeah. d- you know, just a sort of hobby, mm-hmm. you know, with your being familiar with the orchestral, with your being familiar to, you know, the classic music of, of West Africa and you having this experience, you know, writing songs, mm-hmm. um, there was no vision of how a career could, could be formed out of that for, for your parents so no. so how did how did you decide to say well I'm just gonna do it anyway you know um well yeah so I think I was 18 I walked into my parents like you know it's like we we were already on this track to go to St. Cloud blah 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 yeah and that's where by the way you had planned on studying music or something else n- no so um, I wanted to like skip college when I walked into like my, my parents' room. I was like, hey guys, like, I want to talk to you about something. I want to be a musician. I want to sing. I want to perform. I want to dance. I want to do this. And I want to tour, you know, the country, Africa, um, Kenya, go through all of Africa and just be a musician. And they're like, uh, well, uh, <laughs> that's nice. Um, but we need you to have some options and a fallback plan. And since you're good at biology and all of this, why don't you do this and see how you feel afterwards? So fast forward, you go to St. Cloud, you come to Minnesota, go to St. Cloud and study biology? Biomedical sciences. I did that. Got the degree in three years. Wow. Um, And then in my final year while there, I was like in some, um biotechnology class just writing songs and lyrics while listening to lectures <laughs> oh wow and so i was like it was, i was like i'm like okay it's like my final semester like i'm not gonna like i'm d- almost done so i got the degree and i said that's good that's nice um i did a little bit of working in the degree and just was like now i want to do a degree for me yeah. So I went um, to McNally Smith College of Music for production and um, did that and also for my composition degree. So did any lectures ever become lyrics? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Biology lectures? Yeah. The mitochondria. <laughs> Who knows? I the think, powerhouse. I of think the I cell. had a song called. Um, <laughs> sexual, asexual, something about that title, you know, to do with, like, funky. Yeah, we can get behind that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm super embarrassed. I just <laughs> want to see, I, I was just curious if you ever came up with something to rhyme with photosynthesize. Um, no, but, like, every so often, some of the words that I'll have in my lyrics are like, okay, that's the biology geek coming up. <laughs> when you look into these eyes, my spirit just photosynthesizes. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you photosynthesize on my mind, you got me glowing like chlorophyll through my veins. <laughs> Oh, see, look at this magic go. happening just live. Look at that. Okay, we'll put that. We'll yeah. have to do a sidetrack yeah. for that. We'll we need that. to lay down a beat here. Right. Um, so, so you got this uh, composition degree, and, I, and I'm sure that, um, you know, in many ways opened up the doors as far as you're being able to um, spread your music mm-hmm. and to be able to share it. And, mm-hmm. you know, this eventually led you to uh, writing a songbook in, uh, in Wilmer. Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota. So, <laughs> t- so talk to us a little bit about the Wilmer Songbook. Oh yes. Where, so, well, before you start, where is Wilmer, by the way, Scott? I don't think I've ever. It's over there. It's um. <laughs> it's over yonder. Yeah, over it's... yonder. <laughs> Back I... by the wood. No. Yeah, I... Um, it's like no two idea. hours down um, Highway Twelve. Okay. okay so... so out in the field. Well, yeah, <laughs> and among the lakes. Oh okay. my God! Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So if you if you want to see some beautiful lakes too, just go on Highway 12 for two hours. Beautiful town, beautiful um, area. Just some good eating too. So oh yeah, yes. yeah. We love to eat. <laughs> yes. Um. So this started. I applied for um, the In Common Composers Residence, um, Composer in Residence program that's run by the American Composers Forum. And this is yeah, shout um, out to Vanessa Rose, who, uh, who runs the ship over there. Yes. And also, I got to mention Chris Kausman, who's like my uh, 
who was like my program manager. Like we were in the thick of things together. And uh, Paula Elisney Halverson, who is like my community liaison over there. So it was like we were like the three three divas that went into, you know, doing this whole project. So the In Common Project, um, run by ACF and also uh, funded by the Autoburma Trust, um, they were looking for a composer that would go to Wilmer and um, a teaching composer, songwriter, artist that could lead um, the community in writing songs about Wilmer and their experiences there. And, and was, maybe what they have in common what, based uh, on what uh, that, you know. <laughs> you know. I try not to be too on the nose, but exactly what we have in common, uh, what we celebrate, what we uh, think about, what we fear. Um, mm. And so just being there in the community and, uh, you know, we made it very, we were very, um, what was very important was making sure that it was very inclusive, that it covered different ages, different um, works of lives, different experiences uh, musically. So a lot of the people that had something to do with the songbooks were first-time writers. Oh, wow. Which is... Amazing. Mm. I wonder if your uh, if your heritage played a role in creating songs for this diverse community of people in Wilmer. I think so, especially um, you know my experience going from West Africa to East Africa, mm-hmm. and then um, living in Minnesota. Like I don't, I don't know too many people with that experience. Yeah, yeah. me neither. And in music and also in helping people discover the love of songwriting. Like, mm. for me, I just want to get people excited about writing songs. Like, if for the person that's like, oh, I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm too this or I'm too that or I don't have this access or I don't have the skills... It was very important to me like to be like, you can do this. You've listened to so many songs your whole life. Even mm-hmm. when you're not listening, there's music in there. And it was so important for me to be like, hey, let's do this together. Let's make a song and showing the ease of doing that and not doing it with a whole lot of flash or a whole lot of like orchestra or whatever. Yeah, yeah, sure. I like that I like that collaborative idea because I can't tell you the number of times I've written some lyrics Mm -hmm. and in the moment I'm like, oh yeah, I'm feeling this. And then I go sleep or go do something else and I come back and go, who this is garbage. (laughs) Who who wrote this? So um let just to shooting from the hip here, what makes what makes a good song in your mind? What makes a good song? I think uh a good song is is a song that sticks in your head, a song that tells a story about um, your truth, Um, a song that paints a picture and makes you, uh, ignites your senses in some way, makes you light up. Um, You know, I could talk about rhyme and structure and uh, chord and harmony and all of that. That make your music theory teacher proud. Yes, <laughs> yes, uh, but I'm not going to. Because <laughs> sometimes those can also get in the way of just yeah. writing, Absolutely. especially when you're starting out. There was something else that stuck out to me on your website, and maybe this folds into what makes a good song. I saw this phrase, this is what you need it to mean. So mm. uh, is that uh, how do you have a secret for writing in a way that it's open-ended so that it can be personal to the listener. I th- I think a great song does that too. Uh, where, like, my meaning for the song originally, yeah, it's great, it's awesome, but once it gets out into the world, people add their own meanings to it. And mm. also when they hear the song also changes the meaning. Yeah, like, totally. That's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Whitney Houston's... Um, your love is my love. My love is your love. Yeah. It would take an eternity. Yeah. I mean, I was like, oh, that's the song I heard as I was on my way, you know, um, from the school to that school. Like, there was there's that emotional connection to it that people add to a meaning of a song, too. 
I remember one of the first lyrics of that song, she sings, you know, if tomorrow were judgment day, you know, and that just makes me think about the importance uh, of music when you look at, um, at your life's journey so far. And if, and if this is it, are you happy? Are you sad? And, and what, and what, what does it sound like? What, what what does that experience sound like musically? I'm going to go, I'm going to listen to that song today. Yeah. I haven't heard that in a long time. And there's a lyric in there. Um, she says, I'll break the chains of Amistad. Yes. You know, like, or the chains of of Amistad couldn't hold us. And then of course you you have to know what Amistad was and that history. And it speaks to culture and it speaks Mm -hmm. to experience and shout out to the late, great Whitney Houston. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. Oh, Mm. (laughs) soundtrack of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I also, now that we talk about Whitney Houston, I, I also love It's Not Right But It's Okay. Oh, I sing that song at the bank. I sing that song right. uh, to my boyfriend sometimes, you know, because sometimes people don't do you right, but it's okay. It's okay. Because we're going to make it anyway, aren't right. we? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Um, so um, we actually have the idea of uh, of workshopping a song with you. Yeah. And, and and maybe this can sort of happen in the uh, in a similar way uh, that you wrote those songs down in, uh, in Wilmer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, does she have a... Um, does she have a copy of what we... Uh, I'll give you my sheet here. Um, so basically what I had in mind, you know, as the weather is getting um, cooler mm-hmm. and um, and things are changing, especially here in Minnesota, I think about how people become more shut in mm-hmm. and how, you know, that coldness is it's physical, but it's also emotional. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just feel this cold and the importance mm-hmm. of having those warm moments, those yeah. those moments of friendship, not being able to yeah. wait till you hang out with your friends again when there's snow yeah. on the ground and. And, and but, everyone's all, you know. And there's also that element of when the colder weather comes on, mm, sweaters. Sweaters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Blankets, your Warm, feet by the fire. Cocoa tea. And that contrast of, you know, the in between getting out of bed to the kitchen, that, whoo, ah, you know, you got to <laughs> yeah. get warmed up again here. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you. Okay. So, um, so these are some very good um triggers here so what we do so you have some lyrics here already some 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 sentences that mm-hmm. we could put in there just some ideas yeah um fall turning into winter yeah you know something else i'd like to incorporate that we've been talking about a lot you yeah. know you know how when uh, you hear your parents or your grandparents talk about the good old days mm-hmm. and we've been trying to remember okay we're in that Right. Okay, so right now these are the good days. Right. The, like that we'll remember later. later so maybe on. we can incorporate some of that. Yes. Um and so do you want to add like do you want me to go through the Please. Whole thing? I, I, yeah, I would love to learn how you do this. Okay. So basically um I mean you already given me some some really good prompts and so we talk about so you talked about like getting up in the morning and feeling that brush of like cold air like the 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 feeling and that's maybe something that i would put in the beginning um so like opening my eyes uh warm snug in my bed i can't wait to feel the rush of the air near my head Mm. something like that Uh and then um and then getting up to go, like you, you, I check my phone to see if you call. Oh, nice. you know, oh, see, now you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> yeah, uh, so starting to paint a picture, and at this point, I'll be like, What else do you feel would go into the song? We're gonna um, make the good old days, we're gonna make, I feel like today is a good old day, mm. and the memories we're gonna make. I can't wait to take with me over time and something else. This is the time where we would would ask for a little bit more input. Um, So memories to take with me of the good old days. And then... um, Then we're like, okay, what do we want our chorus to to be grounded in? Um, So... What uh, if what if like this um 
you know, and, and we were talking about winter and feeling cold, maybe, you know, never wanting to, never wanting to leave this space, this good old day lasting forever. Yes. Never wanting to leave the space. Ah, the, the, the smile on your lovely face. Never wanting this day to end. Make it last forever. Make it last forever. This good old day, we gotta make it last forever. Oh. Something like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we, we, we'd riff on that a little bit and then picking, you know, then we go into second verse hell, some people call it. Yeah. Uh, and there's some <laughs> tools to get out of second verse hell, you know, and I, it's like. I want that tool book. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one quick trick is to make your first verse your second verse and then start uh, again. Uh, that's a quick trick. Kay. But um, the other thing that's really cool is like, what haven't I said yet? Or can I change the point of view? And so you go and so, you know, at this point, we could either move it time-wise. We're up and about. What are we doing on this fall to winter day? Are we taking a walk, walking on the crisp flowers or uh, leaves? Mm -hmm. All the colors are changing. I feel like this selfie could be on a boomerang. <laughs> I don't know yeah. something, you know, something to paint the picture of we're going. The air, the smell, the taste. Um, if you can find something to rhyme with boomerang, I'm taking you. <laughs> I'll take you to lunch. <laughs> mm, mm, you know, when 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 the door rang, yes. he, he came back like a boomerang. He came back you know, like a boomerang. I was so happy to see him again on this good old day. Looking and for... we're gonna go driving with the top down and my Mustang. Oh, <laughs> looks like looks like I owe somebody lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're, yes. we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk about uh, you know the the aesthetic of this song and uh, yeah. and and get something recorded here. But but before we uh, mm-hmm. but before we wrap up this portion of it, uh, if if people want to uh, learn more about you, listen yeah. to your music, buy some of your music, yes. uh, keep up with your activities, how can they do that? So you can go to Kashimana. Dot com that's k a s h i m a n a dot com uh, that's my website you can go to my bandcamp uh, also kashmana at bandcamp.com and uh, you can come out to see me at the different shows uh, i i have um different uh iterations it's either me solo or me with a band mm-hmm. so come on through and um, if you want to know more about the In Common songbook, you can also go to the Facebook page, In Common Wilmer, or you can also um, go to the ACF website, the American Composers website. Yeah, but definitely huh, go to the band camp and support that's a treasure. <laughs> that's a treasure trove. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Kashimana. Yes. Thank you so much for being here on Trilogy <laughs> today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. Open my eyes and I see The beautiful side of my phone by the bedside I hope I've heard from you today And as I wake up I know today is gonna be a good old day Because you're gonna be in it And the memories we'll make will take forever yeah. And as I walk outside The air tickles my spine Cause we know that they're gonna be fine No matter what people do No matter what people say gonna make some memories you and I and I know today is gonna be so special because you're in my life and you've given me so much to be happy for today is gonna be a good old day yeah and as the fall turns into winter and the crispers against my hair as you whisper beneath my ear I can see the possibilities when I hold your hand today is gonna be a good old day 
So let's make it last forever. Oh, I want to remember your smile when I look back at the past. Cause today is such a good old day. Let's make it last forever. You and your smile, your laugh, the sounds of Good old